Imagine that you are a super spy tasked with protecting the country against enemy powers. One day, you discover that one of your fellow agents has gone rogue and is leaking sensitive information to a foreign intelligence agency. Their actions are threatening to destabilize the entire nation. What would you do? Something like this happens in the bodies of patients with systemic lupus erythematosus on a daily basis. In this example, the country is their body, you are their immune system, and your fellow agent is an antibody, threatening to trigger a self-directed inflammatory response. Today, our patient has lupus, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled MD Soap Break, an approach to systemic lupus erythematosus. Time for our minute physiology. The immune system is a complex network of cells and proteins that defend the body against infection. This is accomplished by the activity of cytokines to trigger local inflammation and antibody formation against foreign antigens. The immune system is critical to keeping us healthy, but in some populations can backfire and trigger inflammation inappropriately. SLE is a chronic autoimmune disorder characterized by autoantibody formation and systemic immune dysregulation. While its entire pathogenesis is complex and not fully understood, it is known that autoantibodies can bind self-antigens and form immune complexes that cause disease when they are deposited. Both genetic and environmental causes have been implicated in SLE development. Examples of postulated risk factors include UV light exposure, cigarette smoking, certain medications, and infections such as EBV. SLE is a relatively rare disorder affecting approximately 0.1% of the general population. It is a female-predominant disease with a 9 to 1 female-to-male ratio. People of African and Asian descent are affected more frequently than Caucasians. The disease tends to manifest between the ages of 15 to 45 in women and 45 to 65 in men. Now we will discuss an approach to a patient with suspected SLE and concentrate on steps towards making the diagnosis. Many of the findings associated with lupus are nonspecific, and you should keep a wide differential as you are working patients up for this disease. Specific symptoms should trigger you to consider other cannot-miss diagnoses. For example, consider septic arthritis when patients present with joint pain, hemolysis for profound anemia, or malignancies when their chief complaint are constitutional symptoms. While the diagnostic criteria have since been updated, The 1997 ACR criteria for SLE and its associated mnemonic, MD Soap Brain, remains a helpful tool to help you remember the different systemic manifestations of the disease. A full description of the mnemonic can be found in the information accompanying this podcast. Now let us move on to the history and physical. As always, ensure your patient is stable prior to your assessment. How are their ABCs? What are their vitals? Patients with lupus flares can often be quite sick and may require immediate stabilization before further workup. Only after you have ensured the patient's stability can you proceed with the rest of your assessment. Since symptoms of SLE may be very heterogeneous, start your history by eliciting the patient's main concerns and work from there. Then, make sure to complete a full review of systems 
asking for any constitutional symptoms, arthritis, arthralgias, headaches, or history of seizure disorders. A photosensitive butterfly, or malar rash, across both cheeks sparing the nasolabial folds is one of the most common cutaneous manifestations of SLE. Ask about any chest pain, dyspnea, or syncope to exclude sinister complications such as serositis, alveolar hemorrhage, or pulmonary embolism. As connective tissue diseases often overlap, complete a quick screen for other syndromes by asking about symptoms like GI dysmotility, history of Raynaud's, skin tightening, dry eyes, or dry mouth. These would suggest alternative diagnoses such as scleroderma or Sjogren's. A complete medical history should also be elicited as common medications like hydralazine or procainamide can induce SLE. Finally, take a thorough social and family history, paying special attention to any relatives with autoimmune conditions. On physical exam, it is often helpful to take a head-to-toe approach. Inspect for any alopecia, nasal or oral ulcerations, and check for any rashes to sun-exposed areas of the body. Listen to the patient's heart and lungs looking for any signs of serositis, such as a pericardial rub, adventitious lung sounds, or decreased breath sounds. Perform a thorough neurological exam, as 10-15% to of patients with SLE will have some form of mono- or polyneuropathy. Then, complete an MSK exam, paying special attention to any joints that may be erythematous, tender, or swollen. Finally, inspect the extremities for any signs of deep vein thrombosis, as patients with SLE are at increased risk for antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. Okay, let's move on to investigations. It is always helpful to start with a CBC looking for anemia, leukopenia, or thrombocytopenia associated with SLE. An unexpected leukocytosis may also clue you in on alternative diagnoses such as sepsis. Check the patient's creatinine and get a urinalysis to rule out renal involvement such as lupus nephritis. If it is present, a renal biopsy can confirm the diagnosis. If the patient presents with arthritis, consider imaging such as x-rays to rule out other causes of polyarthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis. Perform an arthrocentesis if you're concerned about septic arthritis, looking for abnormalities in the cell count, gram stain, culture, or crystals on microscopy. Autoantibodies are very helpful in the diagnosis of lupus, but must be interpreted with the clinical context in mind. Antinuclear antibodies are positive in over 98% of patients with SLE, but are also nonspecific and positive in 30% of the general population. Conversely, anti-double-stranded DNA and anti-Smith antibodies, the latter of which is part of the ENA panel, are lupus-specific and helpful with narrowing the diagnosis. An ENA panel should be sent regardless to screen for coexisting connective tissue diseases. Based on the patient's presentation, Additional autoantibodies can also be sent. For example, arthritis might prompt you to send off a rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP, whereas pulmonary renal syndromes may be associated with anti-GBM, P, or C ankyvasculitis. Anticardiolipin, anti-B2 glycoprotein, and lupus anticoagulant studies can also be sent to assess for APLA. Complements are often low during acute flares and are helpful in monitoring disease progression. Time to talk about the treatment. Given the clinical heterogeneity of SLE, management strategies are typically dictated by the patient's chief complaint. However, most patients will be on some form of chronic antimalarial therapy with either chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine, 
both of which have been shown to reduce flare rates and slow disease progression. This can be supplemented by NSAIDs and short-term glucocorticoid therapy, typically with prednisone at doses of 7.5 mg per day or lower. Patients on chronic hydroxychloroquine should have annual eye exams to monitor for possible retinopathy. Mild to moderate flares can be treated with bursts of prednisone, but may sometimes require additional immunosuppressive agents, such as azathioprine or methotrexate. Patients on chronic leukocorticoids should be counseled on long-term side effects, such as hyperglycemia, osteoporosis, and risk of infection. Pregnant patients should be started on low-dose aspirin from the first trimester onwards to reduce the risk of preeclampsia. Patients with more severe disease flares, such as lupus with renal, pulmonary, or CNS involvement, should be admitted to hospital for monitoring and inpatient management. They will typically require intravenous steroids such as methylprednisolone at 500 to 1,000 mg per day, along with more aggressive immunosuppressive agents such as mycophenolate or cyclophosphamide. A rheumatology consultation would be warranted at this time, who will be able to assist you with deciding on specific therapies. Outside of pharmacological therapy, many patients will also benefit from lifestyle changes. Patients with cutaneous lupus should avoid unnecessary sun exposures and apply sunscreen when possible. Smoking is associated with accelerated disease progression, and patients should be counseled on cessation. Lastly, patients with auto-inflammatory conditions are at increased risk for atherosclerotic heart disease, which can be lowered with dietary changes, exercise, and weight loss. Now for a quick medicine minute. Did you know lupus is Latin for wolf, and its name comes from the characteristic malar rash that many patients with this disease exhibit? Some say that it got its name from the rash's resemblance to a wolf's pelt, while others say that it's based on the rash's punched-out appearance, resembling the bite of a wolf. Spooky. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled MV Soapery, an approach to systemic lupus erythematosus. This episode was written by Dr. Honan Mee, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Mala Jonesha, rheumatologist, and Dr. Zijing Wu, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music by Lakshmi Santamari. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to visit us at www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and our infographic. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.